1: and so I want I want you to stand up and welcome Dr. Chip Bennett from Grace in Florida, Sarasota, Florida. Come on, give him a big Freedom House Church welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Man. Thank you so much. Please, uh, go, ahead. go ahead have a seat. My microphone on. There we go. Great. I just want you to know that I am so humbled and honored to be here this morning with you all. And there's a couple of things that I want to say. First of all, Freedom House is a great church. Can I get an amen from everybody on that? And you have, you have incredible pastors. Troy and Penny. Do you know that? Do you know that you do? I I don't think you, hold on. You have incredible pastors in Troy and Penny. Yeah. And what I can tell you about them is they really do take seriously what they do and they care about your souls. And that's really, really important. So I was asked to come up and and speak and I knew you all were going to be going through some Bible books. And I was excited about that because, you know, at Grace, where I pastor, we, we go through the books. We sort of do line by line. We're in Philippians right now. And going through that before that, we did Galatians. So we're really into that type of stuff. And I was like, this is great. We're going to talk about some of the Bible books. And I thought, when I get up there, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, when Pastor Troy comes to Sarasota, he always has these really wonderful pictures that he shows to everybody before he speaks. And I thought, you know, that's a great idea. So what I'm going to do is show a picture of me and Troy doing CrossFit together, and you'll be awesome. And then I realized, I don't do CrossFit, so I don't have a picture for you. So um, it's just, uh, you know, I do take uh, getting, you know, working out seriously. I At the beginning of the year, I thought I was going to do, a, I made a New Year's resolution to lose 10 pounds. I've only got 17 more to go, so we are really good. But, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really honored to be here. But what happened is, when we originally had talked um, I was asked to do something on the book of Romans, and I put together a message, and I was excited, and then all of a sudden, I felt like I just needed to do something else. So you all will determine after service whether or not I really heard from God or whether it was a bad burrito. So um, hopefully, hopefully, you will appreciate this, and this will, will speak to you. And what I want to do is I want to take some common stories that you probably have heard in your life. If you haven't, you may be familiar with them. If you've been in church for a long time, you definitely will know these stories. And what I wanna do is I wanna teach them in a new and a fresh way where you go, wow, because what I want you to do when you leave here, I want you to be so excited about reading scripture So excited about the Word of God that that you even if you don't read very often, I'm hoping you will go out of here today going, Man, I gotta get into the Word of God. So I've come here to make the Bible great again. Amen? So let's uh, let's 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 do that and, and and get to work. And so we're gonna just sort of wade into this. You know, the the first question that the enemy asks in Genesis is, Did God really say? And let me tell you something as a pastor. When I watch people slide away from God, when I watch people move away from God, it usually starts by questioning God's word. Maybe we don't like it. Maybe, maybe it's something that we just want to kick against. Maybe it doesn't hit us emotionally right. Maybe it bothers us because we just don't think it fits into the world that we live in today. But Scripture is so important. What I want to do is I want to show you how so divinely inspired Scripture is by walking through some stories, walking through some things that maybe you've heard about over, over the years. And I think you're going to go, whoa, this is really cool. So we're going to wade in, first of all, and I'm going to show you how even the very words of Scripture Matter. There's no surplus words in Scripture. So if you're reading, and many of us do, we read a passage, we've read the passage, maybe we've heard the passage, and we just read through it because we've heard it before, maybe we think that we know it. But oftentimes, if we will slow down and realize, every single word matters. So let me, let me start off here with what I call verbs. If you know Genesis 3, you know that that is the fall of humanity. It's where everything sort of goes awry After this wonderful creation of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, all of a sudden there's this fall of humanity. And we're told the fall of humanity through verbs. So let's look here in Genesis 3, 6, and 7. It says, she, this is Eve, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. By the way, Adam was right there with her. Where was her husband? when all of this was going on, why did he not speak up? Sometimes we need to just pay attention here and go, you know what, sometimes you gotta speak up. Sometimes you gotta say stop. Sometimes you gotta go, this is not good. So he's with her and it says, and eight, and then the eyes of both of them were opened. And you may go, okay, well, that's, that's great. Hold on, those, those verbs are important because those become the verbs of our fall. Wow. Took, gave, ate. And their eyes were open. All of a sudden, they realized they were estranged from God. All of a sudden, they realized they were in sin. Well, when we go to Luke 24, we have this beautiful passage of Jesus on resurrection morning. He, he walks with two disciples from Jerusalem to Emmaus. I want you to think about this. If you would have resurrected from the dead... What would you have done? I don't know about, I'm just telling you what I would have done. I would have been like, yes. You know, um, I'd have been like, we need to throw a party. Jesus is so tender and so loving. He spends resurrection morning taking a walk with two disciples. He takes a walk. It's about a six and a half mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And he talks about things concerning himself. But when they get to Emmaus, he's going to continue on and they ask him to come in. Well, when he comes into the house... Luke tells us something. Luke tells us that he took the bread, he gave it to them, they ate it, and their eyes were opened. See what Jesus has done is the verbs of our fall, he has restored to the verbs of our restoration. And see, every word matters. Every single that's what he wants to do in our lives. He wants to restore you and me. He wants to take the things that, that tripped us up and, and bruised us and, and hurt us along the way, and he wants to take those and he wants to change them. So the verbs of our fall through Jesus become the words or the verbs of our restoration. It's beautiful. Well, let's continue to wade in here and we'll see how all of this works. Let's talk about Genesis 2 and John 19. So in Genesis 2, we have this really Interesting story if we pay attention closely. What I want to do is I'm, I'm working you from words to stories. And then we're going to get into some stories and go through some stories. And you'll see how, man, God's word is so neat and unique and so well put together. Far beyond just a man or a woman penning something for you and me. He superintended over all of this. And we can see this here in the story of Adam. So in the garden, we're told here in Genesis, the Lord God... Caused a deep sleep. Now, in the Hebrew, this is like a coma type of sleep. It's almost the sleep of death. Now, remember, Adam and Eve have not fallen. In fact, Eve's not even around at this point. Adam is still in his sinless perfection. God causes a deep sleep to come upon him. And when he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. I want you to think about this. Adam in his sinless perfection, was wounded. Wow. And out of his wounding came the substance that would create his bride. And we're told the, the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. I want you to see this here. Adam hangs his head. He goes to sleep. And he's wounded. And out of his wounding that God completely heals up, the substance forms his bride. And when he awakens in the garden, he awakens to his bride. Why is that significant? Because Adam, when Eve falls, Adam doesn't say, take my life and spare my wife. He, he, we're always looking for a better. Every single person in the Bible, we're looking for a better. We're looking for a better Adam. Well, in John 19, when Jesus is on the cross and he hangs his head in the sleep of death, what do we hear? There was a spear that pierced his side in his sinless perfection. And from his side came water and blood that created his bride, the church. If it weren't for the blood of forgiveness of sin and the washing of the water by the word, we would not have a church. Well, when Jesus resurrects, what does John tell us? He tells us that he's in the garden and there is a woman there, Mary Magdalene, and she is a type of the bride of Christ. John, we'll see this in a little bit later as I go through this, you'll see that John has bridal theology because at the end of Revelation, what what are we talking about? The bride of Christ. So Mary Magdalene, you go, how do you know he was in the garden? Because she said, I suppose that you were the gardener. Do you see how before there was ever a John, before there was ever a, a, a gospel they knew the Genesis text. God so has ordered and ordained the world, he knows exactly what he's doing. And that's why when you see Scripture, these are not just throwaway things. They're not just things that are put there. The, the, the Bible is so incredibly unique, and it's so intentional. So let's, let's continue on here. Let's look at this. Let's look at Luke 2. In Luke 23, oftentimes in the Bible, the way the biblical writers wrote is they would start a book and end a book in the same way. And they did that because back then, they didn't have iPhones or iPads or books or Bibles. They, they were an oral tradition. That's A-U-R-A-L, aural. That so what they would do is they would teach you a story and then they would come back down the story and the book ends would be the beginning and the end. And the center part of the book was the most important part of the book. Very intentional. That's why like John 12, what goes on in the center of the gospel of John? Well, the kingdom of this, the ruler of this world is cast out. What's the center of the book of Revelation? It's where the devil is cast out of heaven. What's the center of the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 8? The de- Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. These books are intentional. They're not just throwaway things. I mean, the Bible is incredibly unique. So in Luke 2, we have a story. Of course, Luke books in his his Bible. He starts off with Zechariah in the temple praying. How does he end the book of Luke? With the disciples in the temple praying. Not unintentional. Well, he also does more correspondence because these books always go to a center. They start and end with the story and they go to the center, which is the most important thing. Well, in Luke 2... We have Mary and Joseph, and you're probably familiar with Mary and Joseph. If you've never been in church, you probably have heard of Mary and Joseph. Mary is the, the mother, the one who carries Jesus, the, the, the virginally birthed Christ child. This is Mary, and Joseph is betrothed to her. They've not consummated their marriage. They've, they've never had a marital union, but, but Joseph becomes the father of Jesus. We have a Mary and a Joseph, and we're told that the virgin gives birth, and we're told that they wrap Jesus in cloth. And they lay him in a manger. In fact, that's the sign given to the shepherds, right? That you will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Now, when I say manger, most of you have heard or think about a manger with like these wooden things with hay in it. Let me show you what a manger looks like. This is a manger. If you go to Israel anytime with me, you'll do that. Every time we go there, people are like... Oh, my goodness. They stumble. We go to, it's called Tel Megiddo. tell is where you've had different places moved. In, in the Bible, it's, the Hebrew word for har, the Hebrew word for mountain is har. So har Megiddo is the mountain of Megiddo. We get in Revelation the term Armageddon. That's the, the way it's trans. Literally, we go there to Tel Megiddo. There's all these mangers. And I, and I love it because I watch people go, That's a manger? Yes, a manger is a rock-hewn piece of limestone that is a feeding trough. Listen, the baby Jesus is placed in a feeding trough because we will consume his blood and his body in communion. These are not throwaway things. They're powerful. The Bible is incredible. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's fantastic. So Jesus is wrapped in cloth. This is the sign to the shepherds. He's wrapped in cloth. He looks like a mummy laying in a sarcophagus. But the baby who looks dead is alive. So at the end of Luke, Luke 24, guess what? We have another Mary and another Joseph. Not the same ones. Mary Magdalene. Joseph of Arimathea. It's important, these words, they help you remember the stories. What do they do? Same Mary and Joseph, not the same Mary and Joseph, but the same names. What do they do? They take Jesus down from the cross and they wrap him in cloth. Where do they put him? In a rock hewn tomb in which a man has never laid. It is a virginal tomb. Those are the words that they use of a woman who's pure. A man has never laid with her. Jesus is wrapped in the cloth, put into a rock-hewn tomb, and he comes out from the virginal tomb on the third day. Not coincidence. Incredible. Are you with me this morning? Okay, okay, let's continue on. We're going to get better. So John 4 John is very aware of Genesis, and I don't have time to develop this because of the time that I have, but if you've read the book of Genesis, you probably remember it says, in the beginning. Anybody in here know Hebrews? Barashit Barai Elohim. That's that's the beginning of Genesis. Well, how does John begin his gospel in RK and Halagos? In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, in the beginning. And guess what? If you'll read, you go home today and see this. If you calculate the first days of John through chapter 2, verse 1, guess how many days he gives us? Seven. How many days of creation? Seven. There's a dove there. There's light and darkness there. All of that's there. These guys know what they're doing. There's so much depth to Scripture. But in John 3, John the Baptist says, The bridegroom comes. Well, who does a bridegroom come for? Okay. If you know Genesis, where do the patriarchs find their wives? Moses found Zipporah where? Isaac found Rebekah where? Jacob found Rachel where? All of them at a well. So if the bridegroom is coming, it shouldn't shock you that Jesus ends up at a well in John chapter four. These are pregnant things in scripture. And so the woman comes to the well. Who's the woman? Well, she's a Samaritan. She's part Jew and part Gentile. She's been married five times and she's currently living with someone. She comes in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to deal with who she is. Maybe like many of us. She comes because she doesn't want to sit around the well in the morning and evening like most people would come. She doesn't want to hear the women talking and wonder if they're talking about her. She comes to this well in the middle of the day, which is really interesting because the story of Jacob and Rachel happens at the same well, and she comes in the middle of the day as well. She shows up, and who's there? Jesus is, because Jesus had to go through Samaria. God will always get the people that God She asks Jesus one of the most pregnant questions in the New Testament. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? What's the story of Jacob? They're at Jacob's well. Well, Rachel came in the middle of the day. Oh, wow. So does this woman. What, What happened there? What happened at the well? Well, Jacob loved Rachel because she was beautiful. But when he worked seven years, Laban gave him Leah instead. And the Bible says that he didn't love Leah because she wasn't beautiful. She's asking the question, are you greater than Jacob? Could you love somebody that's ugly like me? And we know the answer. The answer is yes. She's so taken with Jesus that she leaves her water pot You don't leave your water pot. That's the way you draw water. She's so moved by Jesus, she goes back into town, and she says, come meet the man that told me everything I've ever done. The woman who came to the well to avoid all of the things that she has done has now met Jesus, and she goes back into town. You know what's happened in an instant? Her scars have become her testimony. Do you see that? And that's what he wants to do. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to take you and me, all of us who've had broken issues and problems, and he wants to put us back together because the verbs of our fall are the verbs of our restoration. Let's continue on. Mark 4, wonderful story. Mark 4, Jesus gets in the boat with the disciples. And they go out onto the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes to sleep. All of a sudden, a big storm comes up. The boat's breaking up. They're freaking out. They go wake up Jesus, and they're like, don't you care? You ever, ever been that way in your life? You don't have to raise your hand. Stuff's going on in your life, and you're like, do you care, Jesus? Do you even, do you even know what's going on? Hello, McFly. You know, do you know? Of course he does. He wakes up and he's like, why Why do you guys have such little faith? And then he calms the storm. I don't know if any of you all boat. I, I, I like to, to boat. And, and, in, and in Florida, when you got into the Gulf, um, we, we have storms that, that come in in the, in the summertime almost every day about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And I mean, and when they come in, it's like they come in. And, and so when you can be out maybe 20, 30 miles offshore, one of those storms comes, you all, it gets rough out there really quickly. But what never happens... Is when those storms are going, it takes a long time then for that water to calm back down. The, the, the way it's phrased is that when Jesus spoke, whatever the waves, the wind, everything, it went crystal clear like that. And Mark tells us they asked a question. That's a question he also wants us as readers to ask Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey? Him? Who is this? Who is this guy? It's the question all of us have to answer in our lives. Who is Jesus? Well, what's interesting is, in a lot of the Bible stories, if you've ever had a sheet of paper that has a watermark and you hold it up to the light, you see the watermark. So many of the biblical stories have a watermark because I think if I tell you another story out of the Bible, you're gonna go, oh, Wow. So there is a guy who gets on a boat who is running from God. And he goes down into the boat and goes to sleep. Well, all of a sudden, a huge storm comes up. And everybody's trying to figure out what to do. And they go awaken him and bring him up to the deck of the boat. And he says, listen. This is all going on because I'm running from my God. If you'll throw me over, everything will be okay. And they throw Jonah over the boat and all of a sudden, calm. Everybody on the boat says, that guy, whatever God he was running from, that's God. Yahweh is God. What Mark is telling you Is the God of the Old Testament that calmed the seas is in the boat with the disciples. Who then is this? Powerful stories. Incredible stories. How about this one? Luke 2. Mary loses Jesus. You ever had a, maybe you don't want to admit this, you ever lost your kids? (laughs) It's crazy, right? You're like, oh my gosh, where did they go? We have 34. Actually, we have six, but uh, um, <clears throat> I, was, I was at one time in, in Silva, North Carolina, um, speaking at a, at a church that um, my mother and family had sort of grown up around, and um, I walked in, and it was a very small church. It's the one where the, the musicians or the, the people in the church, then they go up and sing in the choir loft, and then they go back down, and you know, I walk in, I got all these kids, and everybody's like looking around, what's going on? And I said, I just want you to know, I'm not Mormon. I'm, I'm really a Christian, they laugh. But, <clears throat> so she, she loses Jesus. That They go to Jerusalem. And, and this, is, this is important to understand when you understand the, the antiquity and the way the first century worked. Um, when, 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 they, when families would travel, they traveled in bands. They traveled in caravans. They didn't travel one or two people because if they did, they could easily be robbed, killed, and everything else. So they would travel as, as a family. So for the feast... They've, they've traveled as a family to Jerusalem, and typically they would travel with the men and the women, you know, together, but sort of separated in a little bit and do, doing their thing and all of this stuff. And so when they get to Jerusalem, it, it's time to go home. And, and we're told that the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. And we probably read that as Americans, how could they not know? I mean, like, if any kids, you're going to lose um, God, you know. I mean, like, seriously, you're going to lose God, you know. Um, like, it, you, like, the angels came and told you this was going to be the Savior, and you just lose him. Well, and we read that, and we're like, how does that happen? Well, it happens because they traveled in caravans, and what would have easily have been have happened is that Joseph would have thought that Mary had Jesus. Mary would have thought that Joseph had Jesus because they traveled in these caravans. Everybody was looking out for their family. So so it wasn't like it doesn't, it's not as bad as it reads to you and me because we don't understand the way they worked in the first century. So they go a day, and we're told after a day, they realize they don't have Jesus. Now, anybody who's lost a kid, even for a moment, you know, your just mind just goes, it's, it's all anxiety, it's stress, it, you're freaking out, there's fear. It's like every single sort of bad emotional thing that could happen gets put into a blender all real quickly and just starts spinning. And you start thinking, Where are they, am I gonna find them? Am I gonna find them? What's gonna happen? Am I gonna see on TV? Uh, well, my gosh, are they, uh, did, uh, did, would they die? What would, well, they realize, we gotta go back. Well, Luke tells us that, They came back to Jerusalem on the third day. No word in scripture is just there. No surplus words. She comes back and this, she didn't know. She finds Jesus in the temple on the third day. Because your heavenly father is so loving and compassionate. He is preparing Mary's heart for the day when she will lose her son but will find him again on the third day. It's the beauty of Scripture. It's the beauty of the God that we serve. Let me end with this. I I shoved Pastor Troy in the middle of worship because I was supposed to do Romans. And you started off a song, the very first song, about slaying giants. And I was like, see, I might have really heard from God. (laughs) What are the chances? They didn't call me and say, hey, what song do you want to start off with? You know, so this is a story probably most of you all know. But there's a depth to the story that's incredible. One of the cursings that is given in Genesis 3 is over the serpent. We're told that his head will be crushed. I don't have time to develop this, but there's all kinds of head crushings throughout the Old Testament of people that are not children of God, where God is showing us that he will do what he does. When Goliath comes out, we're told in the Hebrew, and the NASB does a good job of translating this. Some of the newer translations don't quite get it because the root word comes from, from serpent. Um, it's, we're told that, David, or that Goliath has scale armor. He's serpentine and of course his head is crushed with the rock that david throws but that's not the there's we could sit here all day long and go through all these themes they're incredible but what i want to do is i want to tell you a part of the story that very few people pick up on and they miss one of the most incredible passages of scripture in all of the bible we're told in first samuel seventeen fifty four. David took the Philistine's head and he brought it to Jerusalem. Interesting, right? Interesting that he would take the head of the giant and go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not even his city at this point. He hasn't taken Jerusalem. It's a Jebusite fortress. So he can't go inside. What does he do? Why does he take the head to Jerusalem? Well, we know that Saul's head was hung on Beth-shean, when Saul's head was severed and put on the wall, why does he take it? I mean, he's, he's making a point by taking it there. Like he, he, and he can't get inside, so he's on the outside of the walls with his head. What would he have done? Well, he would have either put it on a stick and put it there so that the people in the fortress would have been able to see, or maybe he buried it in the ground. Why did he do that? What did he, what did he know that we don't know? Well, when you get to the New Testament we find out that Jesus when he's taken to be crucified he's taken outside of the walls of Jerusalem and he's taken to a place called the skull actually it's Golgotha Goliath of Gath did David know that where he was putting the head of Goliath the giant that had been slain with his hand, did he know that in that spot that one day the Messiah would come who would slay every giant, who would slay every sin, who would slay all of those things, would be right there. And see, that's who Jesus is. And that's why scripture is worth taking some time to read and to acknowledge. Your heavenly father didn't give you scripture. He didn't give you a road map to give you a hard time. He gave it to you because he cares about you. He loves you. He knows what's best. That's why He sent Jesus for you and me. To die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Christianity doesn't start off with do. Christianity starts off with Done. It's what Jesus has done. Jesus doesn't give us a hamster wheel for some sort of performance-based religion so that we can you know, figure out, figure out, figure out, figure out, figure out, figure out. And then when we get off the hamster wheel, oh, we're no longer good. And we gotta get back on and do all of this stuff. Let me tell you something. Your salvation was secured at Calvary. When he said it is finished, it was finished. If we believe in Jesus and we say that he is God in the flesh who has died on the cross for my sins and he rose again on the third day, John wrote... He who has the Son has life. He said, I've written these things that you may know. I want you to know your Heavenly Father. I want you to know that you truly are a Son of God. And I want you to know that putting your nose in that book and allowing God to speak to you and me is absolutely, vitally important. Don't go with what the world tells you don't go with what your emotions and surely don't follow your heart you follow your heart you're gonna end up in the ditch Bible says that the heart of man is wicked the roadmap for you and me is scripture that's why this writer of Proverbs says trust in the Lord with all of your heart next one is so important don't lean to your own understanding do you know how many Christians lean to their own understanding and don't honor what God's Word says in Scripture don't lean to your own understanding. Get your nose in that book and find out what God has written to you and what he said because there's so much beauty in there. And so what I want to do, I want to I want to pray over you. I, I want just, to just ask you if you'd bow your heads and, and 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 close your eyes. And I'm not gonna- I don't do weird, I'm not gonna be weird, I'm not gonna call you up and here's a microphone, will you testify or anything like that, okay? All I want you to do is, I want to ask you if you genuinely. Want to know that you know. Like, you, you want to settle the eternity thing once and for all. Like, you're just, you, you've been unsure, whatever else. It, it, and I'm not, I'm not going to force this or anything else, because there's something else I want to pray for. But if that's you, and you're just like, you yeah, know, I just really want to know Jesus. I want to know that I am, I am good. If there's anybody in here, and I, I promise you, I won't do any weird on you, would you put your hand up and just say, that's me? If there's anybody in here, amen. Actually, several hands. Amen. Okay, I want to, if you're there at your seat, this is all I want you to do. Don't do it with me. Don't do it because I say it. Make your seat an altar and just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again on the third day. Lord, I've been doing life my way and it hasn't been working. I'm gonna do now do it your way. And Lord, I want you to forgive me. I want you to give me a clean heart. I want you to fill me with your spirit, Lord. I wanna know that I've settled the eternity thing once and for all. If you raised your hand, Don't say that because I said it. Say that to God right now. Make your chair an altar. But I also want to pray for one other group of people. If you say to me, hey, listen, today that was something that really ministered to me. And you know what? You're right. I do need to get a little bit more into the word of God. And I want to make a commitment of spending a little bit more time in God's word going forward. Would you put your hand up if that's you? Amen, amen. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. I pray not only for those here, but those online. Lord, that you would just develop here at Freedom House an insatiable desire for your word. Lord, I pray that this would be a day and a turning point for many where they go, you know what, I'm not gonna read it once a week or I'm not gonna just listen when one of the pastors teaches me out of the Bible. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna get my nose in this book and I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna allow Jesus to transform my life for his glory. And Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for what you're going to do. And I thank you, Lord, for not only those that raised their hands to settle eternity, but for those who said today is a new day. I'm going to take God's word more seriously. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for this opportunity to be able to speak to the wonderful people of Freedom House. And I pray today would be a day that they look back upon one day and realize it changed their lives and it changed their reading habits because they realized the Bible is awesome. We thank you for it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House. And subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week. And we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.